Hi friends, my name is Amanda Morris and I am a wife, a mother, a tattoo artist, and a business owner. I recently decided to start this podcast to tell you all stories about pretty much all things creepy from ghosts to demonic possession, aliens, and cryptids. And today we will be diving into one of the most notorious true crime cases in American history. I also want to add, I skipped a week, kind of. I had written and recorded the Anna Eklund exorcism case, but it ended up only being about 10 minutes long, so I will save that story for a bonus episode or something one day. I'm still getting used to all of this. As I mentioned in episode one, I am not very tech savvy. So this is all very new territory for me. My goal is to release episodes weekly on either Sunday or Monday. Since I do work full time and run my own tattoo studio and I also work there. So I stay really busy with that and usually have some downtime on Sundays and Mondays. But yeah, I mean, we're here and we're doing the thing and I'm truly having a blast with it all and just learning along the way. Okay, so let's jump into today's story. We are going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer raped and murdered 17 young men and boys between 1978 and 1991. His murders involved rape, drugging, dismemberment, necrophilia, and cannibalism. And with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and put a disclaimer on this episode. We will be discussing rape, rape and murder of children, mention of suicide, and many gruesome acts of violence that some listeners may find disturbing. So, Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21st, 1960. I always like to know what the childhoods of serial killers were like. It's just so interesting to learn how their minds work and why, and just all the similarities in the childhoods of so many serial killers. And Jeffrey did have a somewhat difficult childhood. However, I would consider his childhood to be relatively normal. I don't believe in Jeffrey's case that his childhood is what led him to becoming a serial sexual murder and cannibal. So when Jeffrey was around the age of four, he had a surgery to correct a double hernia, and it's said that after this, he began acting differently. Before this time, he was just a normal child. They said after the surgery, though, he just became just less happy. Then when his brother was born, he became more withdrawn, and by the time Jeffrey was a teenager, he was fully disengaged. He was known to be a bit odd, and he didn't have, like, any friends. For the most part, Jeffrey's parents were said to be pretty normal and loving towards Jeffrey. His mother did have some mental health issues, 
And some sources did say that she had tried to commit suicide at one point. Jeffrey's parents did divorce, and it was said to be a messy divorce, and it was also said to be very hard on Jeffrey. However, still not a reason to do all the things that he did. But I think this is why his childhood is so fascinating, because he did seem to have a normal, somewhat normal childhood. So at this point, Jeffrey and his family are living in Ohio. When Jeffrey was around eight years old, they moved to Akron, Ohio. The suburb they lived in was called Bath, Ohio, and this home was a three-bed, two-and-a-half bath. I actually looked this house up, and it is really a cute house. It has these giant windows in the front and just a really unique design, and it's just surrounded by trees. So Jeffrey was said to have a huge interest in collecting large insect carcasses, but it wasn't long until Jeffrey's interest grew and he began collecting dead animals and roadkill. It's said that Jeffrey once found his neighbor's already dead dog in the road. So he takes it home, cuts it up, and like nails it to a tree. And then he skins and cleans the skull and places it on a stick. Jeffrey really became obsessed with finding dead animals, cutting them up, skinning them, cleaning the bones. He really grew a curiosity about what the insides of these animals looked like, which ultimately is what led to his his obsession. As a teenager, Jeffrey was said to be very odd. His classmates said he didn't really have any friends and what some would call a loner. It wasn't necessarily that Jeffrey was unliked by his classmates. He was just said to be very different. He was also known for for pulling pranks on people, mostly his teachers. I actually read where one classmate said, if anybody, if someone did something like goofy, they would call it doing a do- a dommer, doing a dommer. Jeffrey was said also to have an extremely high sex drive starting at a very young age. By the age of 14, Jeffrey claims that he began fantasizing about dead bodies and having sexual relations with dead bodies and thinking about murder. Around this time, Jeffrey also began drinking very heavily, and he would actually drink during school. Some sources say he would drink before school and after school as well, but he was sneaking alcohol into the school, and he was, I mean, he was drinking hard liquors. He wasn't, it wasn't like he was, it wasn't usually beer or anything like that. It was also around this time that Jeffrey discovered that he was gay, but Jeffrey began having very unhealthy sexual fantasies. He began fantasizing about capturing and raping and dominating men. He had this obsession with having control over another person. At just 18 years old and only a few weeks after graduating high school, Jeffrey Dahmer committed his first murder. Jeffrey's parents had recently divorced And he was living with his mother in their home in Bath, Ohio. 
His mother spent a lot of time out of town, meaning Jeffrey had full control over the house while she was gone. Jeffrey later says that he had fantasized about picking up a attractive hitchhiker and having sex with him. So he does just that. 18-year-old Stephen Hicks was walking towards Lockwood Corners where he was going to attend a rock concert. And Jeffrey pulls up to him and offers him drinks and drugs. And the young man goes back to Jeffrey's home with him. After hours of drinking and listening to music, Stephen Hicks gets up to leave, and this just outrages Jeffrey. He strikes the man from behind with a dumbbell and strangles him to death. Jeffrey says when he came to and realized what he had done, he was just in shock. He said he did feel some remorse. However, he then proceeds to admit that he did become extremely aroused So he stripped the young man of his clothes and masturbates over his lifeless body. Jeffrey then carried the body to the cross base of his house, dissected the body, removed the bones, and smashed them into a powder, and he then dissolved the flesh with acid. After this first murder, Jeffrey says he wanted to better himself, So he enrolls in the Ohio State University, but drops out shortly after due to his drinking habits. He then decides to join the U.S. Army, where he serves as a combat medic for two years. He was honorably discharged after his drinking habits again became an issue. There were some Army men who claimed that Jeffrey had drugged and raped them, but this wasn't proven to be true until later. So now it's 1982. Jeffrey is living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with his grandmother. Jeffrey's crimes quickly pick back up and he was committed of masturbating in front of children and drugging and raping men at bathhouses. I had to look up what a bathhouse was and a bathhouse is pretty much like a pool or a sauna that is used for sexual activity. So, in September of 1987, Jeffrey goes on to commit his second murder. I am so sorry if I pronounced this last name wrong. So, well, we'll just call him Stephen. So, Jeffrey met Stephen at a bar and convinced him to go back to a hotel room with him. And Jeffrey says he had only intended to drug and rape the man, But he says the next day when he woke up, Stephen's lifeless, bloody body was just laying there. And he says that he had bruises all over his hands. And at that point, he had assumed that he had just beaten Stephen to death. So Jeffrey went out and bought a large suitcase and he shoved Stephen's body into the suitcase. He takes the suitcase to his grandmother's basement where he then dismembers the body and, again, masturbates on or over the corpse, and then he disposes of the remains. I also read in a couple of sources that police had actually pulled him, pulled Jeffrey over while he had this dead body in this suitcase in his car. So... At this point, his grandmother does become suspicious. She starts to notice 
that Jeffrey is staying out late and he had been bringing young men into the home. So she kicks him out in 1988. And at this time, you know, late 80s and then eventually going into the early 90s, it just wasn't as accepted to be gay. So I don't believe that Jeffrey ever told his family that he was gay. I don't think it's ever really brought up. So Jeffrey then moves into his own home near the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory where he worked. And on September 26, just one day after moving into his apartment, Jeffrey was arrested for drugging and sexually assaulting a 13-year-old boy. Jeffrey was sentenced to five years probation and one year in a work release camp. He was also required to register as a sex offender. I had to look up what a work release camp was because I had never heard of that before either. So it is a program where a criminal who is considered sufficiently trusted and they're able to leave prison to work at a place of employment and then return to prison once their shift is over. So after his last murder, the murder of Stephen, Jeffrey commits two more murders in 1988 and another early in 1989. These victims were picked up in gay bars, drugged, raped, and killed. As we said before, Jeffrey had a fascination with human insides. There were multiple witnesses who said Jeffrey would randomly just lay his head on someone's chest because he, quote, wanted to know what their heart sounded like, unquote. Jeffrey kept many body parts, bones, skulls of the victims, but he was also really obsessed with looks and someone's physical attractiveness. He would only keep the skulls of victims that he deemed attractive. So I guess after the trouble he had gotten in, he moved back in with his grandmother. But after he continued with the late nights along with some other strange behavior, as well as a like his grandmother started to notice a really bad, strong odor coming from the basement. So she kicked him out once again. In May of 1990, Jeffrey moved out of his grandmother's house and into his apartment on North 25th Street. This is where Jeffrey would commit four more rapes and murders before just before the end of the year. And then two more in February and April and another in May. So if you aren't on the edge of your seat yet, buckle up, friends. On the early morning of May 27, 1991, two young women who lived in the neighborhood noticed a young boy completely naked, heavily influenced by drugs and or alcohol, and he was sadly bleeding from his rectum. The women called 911, and while they're waiting on help to arrive, Jeffrey comes running around the corner, and he approaches them, and he grabs the young boy by the arms trying to take him, and he tells the women that he's a friend and that the boy was just intoxicated and, you know, just no big deal. But the two women say that they knew in their souls that this was not right. So they do not let Jeffrey take this boy. Officers John Balserzak and Joseph Gabrish, these were the officers who were dispatched to the scene. Jeffrey told the officers that the boy was 19 years old and that he was actually his boyfriend and that they had had an argument while drinking and that he just left. 
These officers asked no questions, even though the two women recognized the young boy as a neighborhood child. And they told police, but apparently they were not acknowledged. And they just handed the young boy over to Jeffrey Dahmer, who unfortunately killed and dismembered the boy later that night. And he kept his skull as a souvenir. You guys, this part seriously makes me feel sick. Had they tried getting the young boy's name, they would have known that this young boy was only 14 years old. They also most likely would have discovered that this boy was the younger brother of the boy that Jeffrey molested and served time for in 1988. Had they done a background check, they would have maybe thought twice about giving that child to this monster. One of the young women who found the boy, she actually called 911 again because she just couldn't shake that feeling. And I actually listened to this call and it is just sickening. She just kept asking, are you sure he is an adult? I feel like he's a child. Are you sure he is an adult? And they just kept reassuring her that, yes, he is for sure an adult and the situation has been handled. Eventually, it came out that when the officers were inside Jeffrey's apartment, they actually reported a foul smell, but did not investigate it. What they were smelling was the decomposing body of Jeffrey's most recent victim, Tony Hughes, who was just in Jeffrey's bedroom. These officers were fired and then rehired. So by the summer of 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer was murdering about one person a week. At this point, he was, first of all, getting sloppy. And secondly, he began experimenting and he was like trying to turn his victims into submissive sex zombies. He was hoping that if he was able to turn a human into this zombie-like state, that they would completely obey all of his sexual fantasies while also staying youthful in appearance. He would drill holes in skulls and would inject hydrochloric acid to the frontal lobe areas of their brains with a large syringe. And this was usually done when the victim was still alive. Around this time, other people living in the apartment complex... Complex. Oh my gosh. Let's try that again. Around this time, other people living in the apartment complex began noticing really awful smells and hearing unusual thumps coming from Jeffrey's apartment. One of his neighbors actually confronted him about this, and Jeffrey told him that his freezer had lost power and it caused all of his meat to go bad. And that's where the smell was coming from. Well, this neighbor actually believed him. Jeffrey's neighbors said that he was actually super friendly, kind of just kept to himself, and none of them ever expected that he was actually a serial murderer and rapist. So finally, on July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey lured another man to his apartment. And this man's name was Tracy Edwards, and according to him, Jeffrey tried to restrain him with handcuffs, but Jeffrey, like, couldn't get the handcuffs on, so he just grabbed a large kitchen knife and forced Edwards into his bedroom. This is when Tracy Edwards notices a foul smell. 
And then he also saw photos that Jeffrey had taken of his victims. And at this point, Tracy knew that he was in danger and that he had to get out of there before he became Jeffrey Dahmer's next victim. Tracy is able to get away by punching Jeffrey in the face and then kicking him in the stomach. And Tracy ran out the door into the streets, handcuffs still dangling from one wrist. And he was able to wave down a police car where he then led them to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. When one of the officers entered the apartment and saw the photos of Jeffrey's victims, he called for his partner to come arrest Jeffrey. As they were arresting him, one of the officers opened Jeffrey's refrigerator and they found a human head. I actually have seen these photos and it is really, it's like in a bag and you can kind of see that its eyes are like open and the mouth is open and it's just really scary looking. So they continue searching the apartment and they find three more severed heads, photographs of murdered victims, as well as photos of uh, human remains in his refrigerator. And they found severed hands and severed penises Jeffrey later admitted to eating his victims, which Jeffrey Dahmer is probably most famous for. He said he believed that by eating parts of his victims, this allowed them to continue living on through him. It's unknown exactly how many were eaten, but Jeffrey says it wasn't until about halfway through his killing spree that he decided to start eating his victims. Jeffrey Dahmer's trial began on January 30th, 1992, and he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. His trial lasted about two weeks, and he was found guilty and sane of 15 counts of murder and sentenced to 15 consecutive life sentences. This was a total of 957 years, which was the maximum penalty in Wisconsin. He was then given an extra life sentence after entering a guilty plea for the murder in Ohio. Jeffrey served his time at the Columbia Correctional Institution in Port Portage, Wisconsin, where he ultimately was beaten to death with a broom handle by another inmate. So that is the horrifying and gruesome true story of one of America's most evil humans. I watched clips from the trial and hearing the victim's families talk to Jeffrey about how they felt and just seeing no remorse or emotion on Jeffrey's face. It's just awful. And I couldn't imagine how the families of these victims felt. And also, if you're interested in this case and also love the creator of American Horror Story, Ryan Murphy, he is actually working on a movie titled The Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story. And Jeffrey Dahmer will be played by none other than Evan Peters. I've read it's set for release this spring, so that's super exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you all so much for listening today. I will be back next week with another episode. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and eat all the food. I know I will. Happy haunting and stay creepy.